0: Hello there. My name is Bonnie Violet, and in case you don't know where you are, this is Dragon Spirituality. Tonight's guest is going to be Poyo Delmar. Poyo Delmar is an award-winning entertainer, journalist, community community advocate, and activist. A celebrated personality in the Bay Area drag scene since 2006, she was voted San Francisco's most notable drag queen in 2015 and the 53rd Empress of San Francisco in 2018. She feels drag provides an opportunity to utilize God-given personal strengths while fostering interpersonal connection and a sense of belonging for others, which she considers the basis of spirituality. Here's Poyo Demar. Hey girl, how's it going? Good. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for being here this evening.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thanks for asking me to join you. Of course. You look gorgeous. Let's get that out of the way.
0: So much. You look gorgeous.
1: (laughs) Thank you. You're serving me extra shoulder. You're
0: like, oh, look at my shoulder. Always showing your shoulders off. I don't know why. It's just thing I do the hair is always to the side and the shoulders always out
1: (laughs) well I should have done that because the shoulder is about the only part of me that hasn't gained like 20 pounds during COVID (laughs) I
0: I read somewhere that an average like people have gained an average of 16 pounds during
1: shelter in place well let's just say I've always been above average so (laughs) yeah I gained like 24 pounds well I guess it is an average right (laughs) yeah well like right. that means that somebody hasn't gained any weight not at all. And I've gained the extra for them. That's really what it means. I'm that's balancing that out. The, how the math works. Exactly.
0: That was a great video. It definitely like gave me some energy. You
1: want to tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, you know, first of all, it was filmed like literally about the first week of COVID lockdown. And um, it was done entirely in my backyard. That's not a jungle. That's actually my backyard. It's not a green screen. It's actually my backyard. And I filmed it entirely by myself. Um, I, you know, it was just a, something to do. Like, I, I feel that with this lockdown, I think it's making us more creative because you have to find ways to kind of entertain yourself. You have to find new ways to interact in the world. And for me, like, I ended up choosing that number and, like, the imagery in it because of the fact that when I think of sort of, like, what the character of Poirot Del Mar is, like, um, I always tell people that if they were to go back and watch like a white snake video from the eighties and see that woman who's like rolling around on the hood of like a firebird or something, mm-hmm. and then age progress her without her knowing that she's gained like a lot of weight and had multiple kids, but she's still wearing the same clothes. That's me. Like, you know, I'm that woman. Okay. So if you've got a firebird <laughs> out there, be careful. Don't come and pick me up. Cause next thing you know,
0: all of this, okay. this is going to be rolling around <laughs> on your hood. You'll be on top of it and we'll just spray some water on you or
1: something. Exactly. I wish that I really would love to do um, like cherry pie or, um, you know, from Warrant or I really would love to do Def Leppard, pour some sugar on me. But, you know, we're social distancing, so there's nobody to pour sugar on me. Just basically be me like throwing donuts on myself and eating my way out of my room.
0: I just saw a TikTok with the pour some sugar on me and it had a Barbie doll like tied to a mixer and they were just, I thought I was going to submit it as my drag video. Just say,
1: I love it. Me. It's so clever. <laughs> right. It was so well done. And so clever. So.
0: All right. So let's get to it. Um, I like yeah, to start, let's talk for sure. Um, I would like to start out with just kind of knowing a little bit about you from when you were young. Are you a native Bay area person? Where did you grow
1: up? Oh no, definitely not a native Bay aryan Um, not a native San Franciscan. I moved to San Francisco in, uh, April of 2000, no, 1999, April of 1999 and from Cleveland, Ohio. And I'd lived there for eight years because I'd gone to college there. So, but I was born in Ohio and then we moved to the Houston area in Texas for about, um, from the age of six to 14. And then my family relocated to Florida where my mom and my sister, my nephews and niece still live. They, you know, My sister still lives in our, my hometown. My nephews just graduated from the same high school that I did. And then I left there to go to college as far away from Ocala, Florida, as I could get. And then I came here um, eight years later
0: than that. Fantastic. And um, what what was Little Pollo
1: like as a kid? Oh, um, I think that I've, first of all, I've always been a smart ass, uh, mm-hmm. very much a smart aleck. Um, and, and very, like, I, I would think that, um, like I, my, I had a grandfather who spent a lot of time doting on me. And so I think that he, um, we spent a lot of one-on-one time together and, and I think that he probably educated me beyond what most 3 year old like, I, you know, I had like a very advanced spelling for a three-year-old or a four-year-old, um, things like that. And it's just because I think that I had so much one-on-one time with him. And then, um, very precocious, uh, very flamboyant. Um, a lot of time spent in front of the television, um, watching Wonder Woman and Charlie's angels, because those were the thing then. And then, uh, certainly, um, you know, as I, as I got older, um, just, yeah, it became apparent to pretty much everyone around me that I was quite different, quite different, quite
0: theatrical. (laughs) <laughs> was your family pretty supportive of that or encouraging?
1: Um, I don't, uh, to be honest, I don't think that they were, um, certainly not my dad. My dad, I think my dad struggled with my sexuality until the, the you know, the very end of his life, which, um, he passed like five, a little over five and a half years ago. Um, my, like everybody else, I think was, they appreciated the fact and they fostered the fact that I was very creative or different or, um, artistic or however you wanted to look at it, but they certainly, I think, wanted to shy away from the obvious, you know, that was something that I remember my dad, um, you know, brought up several times. The first time I ever remember it was when I was in second grade, you know, so, and in regards to the possibility of being, um, like having a different sexual orientation or different sexual identity, they were, it was not something that was, Incredibly supported early on.
0: Got gotcha. you. And how were you with that? Were you fairly aware of it from the get-go, or?
1: Um, I think that um, I think that I was clearly aware that I was different. You know, um, I didn't know necessarily what that meant um, for quite some time. I, I, rem- you know, I certainly remember having crushes on my little uh, male friends um, and feeling very much disconnected from most boys my age. And so there was certainly that element. Uh, I, I think that for me, like I, I remember, you know, as a child, like um, given the topic that we're ultimately going to be moving towards, towards spirituality, I certainly remember praying, like, please, like, you know, just like, let me, you know, feel whatever everybody else feels type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I also lived in like a tremendous world of fantasy. So like, I, like my whole life revolved around fantasy as a young child and escapism through books or creativity, or, you know, my own imagination was really key. And I think that that prevented me from like probably feeling until I was at least a teenager from feeling a lot of the pain that would be associated with that later on.
0: Right. Was your family church going
1: or? No, not at all. Um, in fact, like, uh, not at all. Um, my my, I, but at the same time, strangely enough, because of the fact that, um, there was no church going to be done by the adults in my family, they still never discouraged us from going to church if we wanted. And to kind of put in perspective, Bonnie, how old I am, um, it was the culture at the time. Um, when I was, I remember like second, third, fourth grade that, Um, churches would send school buses around on Sundays just to pick up random children and take them to church. And, you know, like I don't know necessarily that I would want my kids to do that now. Like if I had children, but my parents never had a problem with, I think they just wanted us out of the house. Right. But um, at the same time, like I used to actively seek those out or, um, and then I continued to dabble in various, and it was interesting because it was never the same denomination. We would move very often. And it would be just different churches, but I loved it because um, I loved the musicality of the church, most church environments. And, you know, whether it was the choir or the organist or just the singing of hymns between, you know, and, and I always really loved that. And I remember being, um, significantly older like you know as a as a teenager and seeking out that and i loved at that time my family lived uh in an area where it was largely pentecostal it wasn't like radical pentecostal but um when i say pentecostal i explicitly just mean the kind of music that that they perform in a pentecostal church it's very much like um it sounds to me like mostly like the Almond brothers or things like that like these boy bands like basically the all-male groups of the 60s and 70s and a lot of the music sounds like that and I just loved it I always loved it
0: yeah I grew up very similarly my parents were not church going folks but I I I loved going it was like I just had a lot of fun with it yeah and me I too. Tried, on, tried on lots of different ones too when did um when did the uh, when did I guess did did has you always been that way like when you went off to college and left high school did you still like was has church always been a part of I guess your growing up
1: Um, yeah, yes. But interestingly enough, like, um, I've always, I always really loved the, the church environment, but I always very much divorced myself from a lot of the like literature and a lot of the preachings because of the fact that, um, I I don't know if it was because of as I grew into an understanding about my identity or if it was something else, but I recognized that what I felt a connection to in the environment of the church did not align with what the preachings were. And, um, and a lot of that specifically what I mean is like the kind of judgment that I felt for who I knew I was, even if I wasn't open about it. But Mm I, I went to a, um, I went to a Methodist college and, um, even though, you know, that was sort of the trappings of it. It was basically just a liberal arts college. It wasn't, you know, no religious requirements or things like that, but I still went to, I went to chapel every, you know, a couple months or whatever. It was just, it's always been something that I enjoyed doing um, and would continue to do. And then um, I, Eventually became involved in San Francisco as part of the MCC church. I really liked some of the messaging they had. I liked the diversity. And of course, by that time, I was a fully grown adult, openly gay, out, um, and in living here in San Francisco. And I continued to visit that church until, unfortunately, they had some issues with the building and it was condemned, I think. And, and they moved locations that I never sort of picked up after that.
0: Picked up after that. How long ago was that?
1: Oh God, a very long time ago, Bonnie. Thanks for putting me on the spot, girl. <laughs> for Thanks sure. for putting me on the spot.
0: Definitely. That's what I'm here for. Um, I so when did when did uh, Pollo come, come come to play?
1: Um Pollo was born on April 27th, 2006. It was a um, a fundraising event for a, a large sober conference that happens here in in San Francisco. And, um, I've been very open, like with anybody who would be viewing this, who may not know me on a personal level, I, I've been very open over the course of those fi- almost 15 years now about being a sober individual. And I was already s- two years sober when, uh, Pollo was born. So it, uh, it was a very, it was, a, it was a journey. It was an, it was an interesting turn of affairs because I did not anticipate it becoming a thing really.
0: Great. Had you ever, had you ever thought, so you had never really thought about doing drag
1: prior to doing it? Um, I had done, you know, like I always tell people, like, I have a, a photo of myself when I was a baby in like in a bassinet and my grandmother had put this like, uh, bandana on my head with a bow and it was like tied in the front. And I was like, this is my first time in drag. And then when I was in, I want to say like sixth grade, I convinced my grandmother that boy George was not really gay, that he was just a showman. And I went as boy George for, um, Halloween that year. And then, um, a couple of times like uh when i lived in cleveland right before i left i remember um i started to dabble in the concept of drag there and it Mm -hmm. was it was very different than the drag that's presented here it's very different than the drag even that i presented in 2006 which is radically different than i am now too but um that was like a little bit more slightly club kid oriented not like a hyper club kids, like I've seen some of the looks you've done and some of the, even the looks that I've done, like they're very in that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a little less pageanty, I would say than what I am now. And so I played with that idea, but I recognize now so far into my career and so far into the journey in sobriety, which has allowed me to get to know myself mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, that uh, there were two factors at play that prevented me, I think, from exploring it more. Number one is that um in 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 Cleveland specifically and throughout the Midwest the at that time and this is I'm talking like the late 90s the majority of the drag entertainers that I encountered were actually they identified as women they were trans women you know who mm-hmm. what what I would call showgirls they were they were trans identified women um who did shows as a form of like earning a living to be honest because in those areas, like if you're a trans woman and most of them were looking back trans women of color. So like they had such limited options of what they could do. And so that's what I sort of viewed drag as there was only one drag performer in, in Cleveland at that time that I can think of maybe two who did not identify as a woman, you know, yeah. they were not trans. So that really prevented me from exploring it more because it did not seem like I would fit in there. Gotcha. And then the other element of it was what I now recognize to be my own internalized homophobia. Like I did not feel quite confident or comfortable enough with myself um, as a 25 year old, 24 or five, six year old male to young gay man to, to do that, you know, to embrace part of that element of myself, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how did you uh, land on Pollo Del Mar?
1: Um, it is it, you know, I, the story behind it is like pretty mundane. I was on a date two years before I ever decided that I was ever going to do drag. And uh, it was, there was a menu item that said Delicia Del Mar. And I said, Oh my gosh, if I ever did drag, I would be Delicia Del Mar. Cause it sounds so glamorous. Right. And then um, as I fast forward, as I grew in my sobriety, um, I saw other people who did these like occasional fundraising events and you know, they would do it once and it would be like five years later and people would be like, hi, Betty, you know? And I did not want people, even early on, I didn't want people that, I didn't want to have a name that felt like a woman's name, you know, Mm -hmm. because at that time I didn't really perceive this character to be entirely, it was very different than what you're seeing in front of you now, the presentation of it. And so I wanted something that was innocuous and um, a play on words and funny And um, this was around approximately like a couple of years after the chicken or fish. Is it chicken or fish with the chicken of the sea from Jessica Simpson? Mm -hmm. And I'm embarrassed to admit, but I'm an unabashed Jessica Simpson fan. So it just seemed appropriate. Right, right.
0: Yeah. Um, We do have our first question from the audience. Um, Okay. Leandro Gonzalez asks, how did you get involved doing community service charity work?
1: So, uh, first of all, thank you, Leandro, for watching. Uh, Leandro and I had the pleasure of spending a year together as emperor and empress of San Francisco. And, um, you know, from the very beginning of my drag career, it was based in fundraising because the the very first time Coyo Del Mar ever stepped on a stage, it was to raise money for that conference, you know, for the sober community. And while um, it quickly evolved into something so much greater, me meaning a career it became my career for quite a long time one of the things that i've always recognized is that when i i was doing something at that time that was incredibly unique and that's that this persona this character that you're you're talking to bonnie was paying my bills and you know drag was paying my bills and there was and i'm talking my rent my everything in san francisco and there's only a handful of people at that time and maybe only a handful still that could really say that. And what I took from that experience was an understanding that we talk about a lot in sobriety. And that's like, that I was grateful. You know, I was grateful. Um, the community was literally paying my bills. Um, and what I understood from the very beginning is that the community has given so much to me and they continue to give so much to me. And it's, it, part of it's an obligation but part of it's just a strong desire to be to be able to say that I've given back to the community the people that have given me so much and I would like to give back even a fraction of that and mm-hmm. the way that I can do that is to show up for fundraising events and charity events and um, you know things that that frankly like that just started from just a desire to make a better like a better place for all of us. And like every holiday, for example, um, at starting around Thanksgiving time, I start a sock and underwear and toiletries drive that, mm-hmm. um, it has always gone to the San Francisco night ministry and they distribute those to people who are less fortunate or in places of need. And, mm-hmm. and that wasn't, um, it wasn't done to self-promote or any of that. It stemmed from the fact that, I posted something on social media saying, what can we do to make things better? And that idea came to me and people have supported it for six years now. So it's always just been part of my identity, I think, as a performer. And I am I hope that it's actually just part of my identity as a human, you know, like that we give back, right? We give back freely mm-hmm. what was given to us.
0: Definitely. Yeah. That was a, That speaks very much to a lot of why I wanted to talk about drag and spirituality together. I think that drag queens to me are spiritual beings and like, like um, leaders in the sense they lift spirits, they raise money mm-hmm. for community. They take care of like, especially the the court system, you know, they've mm-hmm. done so Absolutely. much for our community all across the, all across the United States. Um, and I mean, I think, I mean, that's the stuff I want to see churches do. You know, I want to see them right. at the community helping lift people up and meeting them where they're at and, you know, taking care of them. I mean, I, I, that's spiritual shit to it,
1: me. <laughs> it is, you know, and that's like, um, I think that, I think it was mentioned in my bio, which um, people may or may not have caught, but, you know, I look at, um, when I look at the church environment, for example, um, what I gravitated towards when I went to those churches Yes, it was the music. I already told you that. But, but part of it was that when I was there, I felt a sense of connectedness. And only a small part of that was actually to the people around me because most of the time I was going to church with literal strangers that I'd never seen before and possibly would never see again. I, I, sent, I felt a sense of connectedness in a community and I felt a sense of connectedness to something like a greater calling, right? And so when I look at the way drag has impacted my life, what it has given me, is a sense of connectedness and in in some ways a greater calling because, you know, I've always felt like Hoya del Mar is like my superhero character, you know, because people rally behind this, what's sitting in front of you. They'll rally behind this in a different way than they would if I was not like this. Um, and it's brought people into my life that have been incredibly meaningful to me and changed my perspective and changed my way of thinking and, and changed my life. You know, I, I would like to say that one of those people and and how we lift others up and we, we don't even know it. And I, I want to preface by saying, I'm not taking any credit for what uh, the individual is doing now, but, um, I felt this incredible connection when I was, when Leandro and I were up in front of hundreds of people, you know, being crowned emperor and empress, I felt a real connection with a person in the audience who I'd only met briefly one time at that point. And I knew um, their partner better than I knew them. And uh, the individual's name is Catherine Rose. She became, ultimately became my, my princess when I was empress. And we had many conversations where she, She questioned herself, you know, and I said, I see this in you. Somebody saw something in me once and like gave me a chance. I'm like, I see it in you. I feel it. And, and now um, I, like I said, I'm not taking credit, but what I would say is that I definitely think I sparked the desire of acknowledging that this like performing and being part of the community in a drag, perspective can really open doors to connections with other people and opportunities to do good. You know, like, you know, Mm -hmm. we can do a tremendous amount of good if we choose to.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, another question from angel. Do you think that sobriety helped you find your alter ego? Um,
1: I think, I don't think that sobriety helped me find Pollo. What I will say um, and I've said many times before, I think that, I think that finding Pollo kept me sober. I really do. Um, you know, I was two years sober when, um, this whole journey of drag began for me. And what I can say with all honesty is that I had gotten to two years, um, of sobriety, but I f- did not feel like I felt still out like an outsider. I, st- uh, even even in the sob- sobriety community, I felt like an outsider. Um, and part of that was, you know, the baggage I brought with me. And part of it was some circumstances. I, I went into a long term rehabilitation facility that really kept us quite isolated for quite a long time. And it was difficult for me to make connections uh, coming out of that. I felt um, I had given up to become a sober person. I had to give up almost everything I knew about myself before. And uh, there were so many layers of that. I was uh, the life of the party. I was, uh, you know, believe it or not, viewers, I was like a a young, I felt like a young, hot gay man, you know, and um, I, was a, I was like the center of a massive social circle that Revolved around bars and nightclubs and drugs and alcohol, and all of those things were the person that I thought I was, you know. And when it became apparent that the drugs and the drinking specifically weren't working for me anymore, I didn't know how to detach that behavior from the identity I'd carved for myself. Mm-hmm. And there's a term that we sometimes use in recovery that says. we're talking about our fear of what we would become. And it says, do we become the hole in the donut? Meaning like you're just a shell really. And there's nothing there. And I had managed to string together two years of sobriety, but I was still feeling disconnected. I was bored. I was struggling to figure out who, you know, who is Paul Pratt when he's not the, the, you know, the life of the party and out every night. And um, I hadn't even gone into a bar, maybe one time in those two years. And so, I firmly believe that if drag had not happened when it did, um, there's a strong possibility I wouldn't still be sober today. And, And it's quite the opposite of what people expect to hear because they think that it becomes so challenging to be in a bar if you're sober. But for me, it gave me a new reason to be there. And I believe firmly that I can go anywhere and do anything that anyone else can do as long as I have a reason and purpose to be there and I don't lose sight of what that is. So if my reason and purpose to be in a nightclub now is to entertain people and to earn a living and to do a performance and do a show or raise money for our community, I can do all of those things. And then when those are done, I have the, I have given myself permission to go home, right? Like I don't have to stay until the bar closes. I don't have to be the last one out or the, you know, the last one to pass out or whatever the case may be. But so to Angel's question specifically, like, um i don't I, I think that quite the opposite she poyo helps me find myself and that's because i didn't know who i was and by the uh, experience of exploring who she was and figuring out what this character is i got to figure out who actually i'm not in real life like which parts of this you're seeing are a character mm-hmm. and which parts are threads of reality of who i am as a person right
0: And and it felt, it feels like too, like when you, by the time you started doing drag, it since it seemed like you had a idea of the purpose, like from the get go. It seemed like
1: because of that, that might cause you to take it more seriously, I guess, to not like. Well, yeah, I think that like, I mean, so drag, one of the reasons that drag became my career, I remember very distinctly. I was like, had only been doing drag maybe like 10 months and a major nightclub promoter, um, had been given my number by like a third party. And he called me up because he unexpectedly had to let go the host of this big party he was doing the day of. And so he called me, he's like, can you do this event for me? My friends told me you're great, you're fine, you're reliable, whatever. And so I showed up and he really liked me. And then I, he started bringing me back every week. And it was like about five or six weeks into me working for him every week that he said to me like there's something really different about you and I can't put my finger on it I was like oh I don't know what that is and then he said oh like um, they the whatever xyz went to get shots do you want to do shots you know they, they're doing shots I was like oh I don't I don't drink and he's like oh my god you're sober that's what's different about you like when I tell you to be on stage at 12 o'clock you're on stage at 12 o'clock when I tell you like to say X, Y, Z or whatever we are, you know, the program is you're, you're following up on it. And that's because I had an understanding right away that um, number one, I had to be mindful of my behavior because I am sober and I didn't want to jeopardize that. I didn't want to mm-hmm. endanger that for myself. But I also um, was like really aware that, you know, I was there like to, to conduct business and my job in a nightclub environment is to make sure everyone else has a good time. It's like, I mean, I have a good time because I have a good time and I have a good time because I like to see people enjoying themselves. But I think that I've seen other instances where people, um, the way they facilitate making sure everybody else is having a good time is that they're like along for the ride. And if I was like drinking the way some of the people I know drink, I, I would never make it to the end of the party. I would never remember like getting home. Okay. And that's my, my job is to be there to do that, right? So I just go and do my job and then I go home.
0: Yeah. Um, would you say this is a true or false statement that um, Pollo Del Mar helps you sustain a relationship with higher power?
1: Um, I do think that there's a truth true to that, you know, because I think that, um, I think that most of the aspects, so i I'm gonna, I'm gonna i do think it's true but i also i'm going to give it a two-part answer because i think it's true because i think the best elements of poyo for the most part like the are are parts of myself that um are god-given you know like the ability to entertain the quick wit the you know um an element of compassion honestly that you know people may not necessarily expect if they're interacting with me because that's because underneath the makeup is a real person who's gone through some real shit in my life and when I see other people going through it, I have empathy because I'm like, Ooh, I can relate to that. So I think that in that regard, I think that, um, you know, this is just a very different opportunity for my higher power to shine through me and touch other people. And I think that in a lot of ways it amplifies that the voice, um, that, you know, that I may be delivering the, the, whatever words or impact that I could have. Um, because I believe that like, higher power, God, the universe, whatever, like, the greater good speaks through each of us as humans. Like, mm-hmm. I think it manifests through us, and other people feel that. Um, and then I'll say on the flip side of that is that I think that, you know, Poyo Del also has, like, every, I can turn up the, the volume on every flaw that I have as a human as well, because in the under the guise of drag, like being a horrible person, being a bitch, being all these, you know, mean, like catty, gossipy, all of those things like go really, they can play hand in hand with this persona very well. And those are parts of myself that I have acknowledged exist. And they're parts of myself that I don't always love. You know, Bonnie, I don't want to like I, I it's happened so many times, and I I try to be more mindful. But so many times I've said something just to be funny and it cut a little too close to somebody and it hurt them. And, you know, in the moment, like, yeah, get over it, whatever. But I still go home and when the makeup comes off, like the real person comes back and I'm like, oh, damn you, like you did it again. And it, it wasn't kind. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessary. It's not necessary to hurt somebody's feelings for a punchline. Right. And I'm quite honestly, I'm notorious for doing that. And I hope that I'm getting slightly better um, about circling back to people that I care about and letting them know, like, you know, I acknowledge that I went too far and I'm so sorry. What can I do to make it better?
0: Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I knew, I I guess I spent more time with you before I knew you were Poyo, and Mm -hmm. I was always, um, I was always just very um, impressed with your spirituality, the way you talked about your presence and and then the thought of you also being a drag queen was really intriguing to me. I hadn't even done drag yet. So um, it was a very, um, I don't know. It was just, a, it was this cool kind of immersion of drag and spirituality. And even a year ago when I first did this event, you know, you were like the first person I thought of uh, to participate. In, participate in. Aww, I,
1: I was, thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I think that um, there there's something to be said for having done enough work in on myself, right? Over the last, cause it's been 16 years for me that I've been sober of, and clean of drugs and alcohol. And there is something to be said with coming to a point of working on, on an understanding of myself innately that I try to have that through line of authenticity, you know, like the person that I am, like, uh, I may turn the volume up on in areas, you know, when I'm when I'm dressed up, but I still would like ultimately that person that I'm working towards becoming to be present when I'm Poyo del Mar, okay. and a big part of what I think for me, so our topic guides me in how I want in who it is that I want to grow up to be, basically, you know, as a sober person, comes from a connection uh, of God consciousness of of being guided towards the greater good, like the next right thing, the Mm -hmm. good orderly direction, however we talk about it, you know, like those are the things that I, I want to come across a little bit more. And I think that when people, depending on what day you catch me, like some days I'm like so easygoing as a, you know, outside of drag and laid back and funny and, and sassy. And other days, like, you know, especially if I'm around the, certain groups of people that sort of, it's almost like they flip this, the, the right. Pollo trigger, you know, like they flip the switch and this comes out of me because it is part of who I am. But mm-hmm. when, I'm, it's girls, when I'm around my girls I'm around and like when I'm around MGM or Bobby Friday or like other people who are my super close, like my family unit type of mm-hmm. thing, it flips that switch in me. And like, sometimes I'm like, Oh girl, this is going to be, it's all bad. People run away from us, you know?
0: Yeah. I think it can be really challenging. Cause I feel like, like, as a drag, when you get into drag, it feels like you're supposed to be a certain way, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, not even just aesthetically, but, like, your attitude and all, all of that, like, is supposed to be, like, sassy and, like, I don't yeah. know, whatever, um, which has always been a little challenging. I feel like I'm just the same person, like, <laughs> regardless, um, but, but, yeah,
1: go ahead. Hmm. Well, I was just thinking, like, so um, in my past life, before there was a Poet Del Mar, I was a and even after there's been Boya Omar, I was, a, I was a journalist and I used to um, interview a lot of celebrities and it was a number of years before I did drag, but I remember talking to RuPaul and I did an interview with RuPaul about, and I asked what the difference between RuPaul Charles is and RuPaul supermodel of the world. Mm-hmm. And um, basically for those of you who do not understand, like what is the difference between the person he is and the person she is? And um, he said that RuPaul's supermodel of the world basically takes all of the personality that he really has pre-existing and turns the volume up to like 12, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's all there, but the character comes out at the maximum volume. Right. right. Um, and I really started to be able to relate to that late, later on when I started doing this, because um, like I said, like the, the, all of the parts of her exist in me because I'm not that great of an actor, you know? So I I just have to turn the volume up. But the problem becomes sometimes when you become very accustomed, like it's like, if you drive a fast car, it's almost difficult to make it go slow, you know, because you're, it, it has the capacity to go 120 and barely touch the gas and you're like off and running. Well, some parts of my personality are like that, you know, like my tongue is sharp and my wit is quick. And my, you know, like the comedic part of who people see on stage, it exists there. And so if I don't, if I don't legitimately sometimes say like, just be mindful, just be aware of where you're at. You're not in drag. You don't need to like, it can happen. And it, and there are things, as I said, that become excusable when you're in drag, that that are not excusable if you're not, and um, and that leads me to say to ask myself sometimes, like, well, is it excusable if I'm in drag? Right. Even, you know. So, it's a it's a different beast.
0: What What would you um, say is what is one thing that you don't like about drag? Um, I think that
1: about myself in drag or about drag as a whole just
0: drag and just in what kind of comes to mind whether it's the community the scene performance I don't I don't know
1: I mean I, I think that like <laughs> I think the what comes to mind that I don't um, specifically love sometimes about drag is I think that um, by the very nature of it I think that it does amp up sometimes our worst traits mm-hmm. also you know and I notice that um, even I, I, fall into it as bad as the next person at times, but I noticed that it can create a sense of hyper competitiveness between people and in situations where there's no, there's no need for a competition, you know, like, um, I, if I enter into a, a room backstage at a drag show, it's not like I'm walking into the, the workroom at RuPaul's drag race. It's not like eliminate all these bitches until I'm the last one standing, You know, it doesn't need to be that way. And, um, I think that for some of us, and, and I say, I I don't want to, maybe I should just say for me, I spent many years where I was that, I was that girl, you know, I was very competitive and it's because I, um, it became right away a, a career for me. So there was money involved and then it became an ego boost for me. So there was ego involved and ego and money don't mix really. I mean, it's a bad combo for anyone. And then, um, and I was also, I became super public, right? Like this persona became super public for me. And so you're getting a lot of stimuli from other people. And it can be sometimes, even if you don't want to, if other people want to pit you into a, you know, like a competition with somebody, um, it can happen even if you don't want to. And I spent a, a good number of years um, in what I didn't consider a competition, but what was perceived, I think, by many as a public competition between myself and another drag performer who came onto the scene about the same time I did, was very successful, as I was at that time, and and because of the fact that we were both, like, um, sort of on the same career trajectory, people would always say, oh, did you hear that so-and-so got... A new this new gig or a new opportunity, and I would legitimately say like, well, I'm really happy for that person. You know, like I, I don't, I don't want to feed into the negativity because it ate at me. You know, it ate at my soul, and also because I don't operate from a place of scarcity. I don't think there's a scarcity. I think that you make your own opportunities. If you go somewhere and something that you want isn't available, so you just make the opportunity. Like do it. But um, I definitely think that hyper and like. Uh, amped up sense of competitiveness for me has certainly been a challenge Mm -hmm.
0: what what would what would you say to um say uh, somebody who is uh, considering doing drag um or maybe even sobriety or like the two together what would you say to someone well
1: i mean I, i think that the one of the key threads that ties the two together for me is like um there's a strong possibility that one or both could change your life in ways that you would never expect, you know, because, um, in sobriety, we, the the thing that we often say is like, you can get a life beyond your wildest dreams. Right. And, um, for me, the drag is a real exemplification of that statement because when I walked into sobriety in April 20th of 2004, I would have never ever First of all, I couldn't even imagine going 30 days without doing the harmful behaviors I was doing, right? Um, Much less that 16 plus years later, I would have made a name for myself, um, surrounded myself with so many beautiful people, been given the opportunities that I've been given, gotten to experience things that a person who comes from where I come from and grew up with the means that I grew up with, which was not much, um, who faced some of the adversity that I did uh, as I think so many of us queer people do. Mm -hmm. Like had I, somebody said to me back then all of this was going to happen because you're going to become a drag queen. Right. I would have been like, "Uh, no, that's actually not, gonna happen you know but the the same but it has happened like i did get in stay sober and it changed my life i did become a drag performer and then it became part of my identity for the rest of my life no matter what i could stop today and this would always live on because people would remember this character and that has changed my life so um you know i think that that's part of it is that like just know that uh like many decisions they're like they can change your life you know but in terms of what I would say to somebody who's considering sobriety, um, it's just been my experience that people who think about that being something that they might need to look at, um, if if it's not something that's probably impacting your life, if you're drinking or you're drugging or your whatever your decisions are, aren't negatively impacting your life, it probably never occurs to you that mm-hmm. you might want to explore that. So I would just say that... Um, if it has come to your mind that you think that drugs and alcohol, uh, your choices and your decision making may have reached a point where you have lost control of the narrative in your life, then you know what. What do you have to lose by trying that? Really, um, my experience has been that it was a difficult decision, and it, was, it sometimes has remained a difficult de- decision to to maintain one day at a time. But it legitimately has changed my life, mm-hmm. and the thing that I would say uh, to somebody who is looking to do drag is that uh, for me, drag is really about transformation and that can take on many different facets. You know, I certainly have uh, styles of drag that I love more. And I think that most of the time I exemplify those, you know, like I I obviously created an image for myself that I love based on the things that, that I enjoy. But at the same time, like, I have never shied away from doing things that are like strange or unique or different. And I think that um, just as I said earlier, like about trying to like, you know, take back some, some power in my narrative of, you know, like of my life, like the way my life had spun out of control, taking back some of the narrative um, through my decision-making and choices as a sober person. Like, I think that that applies also to drag. Like I, I don't let somebody else's narrative of what drag is supposed to be or what I, my drag is supposed to be or who I'm supposed to be because I do drag control me. Um, so that's what I think I'd say.
0: Great. Um, I was curious about, um, like sexuality, um, and mm-hmm. how it how has been balancing, I guess, drag spirituality and potentially sexuality.
1: Yeah. So, um, First of all, like, I think that for a lot of performers, I've heard that there's, like, an intersectionality between their, their drag and their sexuality. Um, and um, that hasn't been my experience. I've literally, like, I, I've been doing this a really long time and I've never had sex and drag. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had um, some relationships um, that have lasted a period of time. And e- even within those, like, I, I barely... Um, have even kissed my, like my partner or my boyfriend or whatever the case may be at the time. Um, because it, it's just, I don't know why I like, I don't, th- this is a, this, t- when I'm Pollo, I like, I'm the same person on the inside, but the exterior is different. And it's like, um, not to give myself like what sounds like a split personality disorder, but I, I separate between the two. You know what I mean? And, um, and interestingly enough, like if one were to listen to any of the stuff that I do, like comedically when I'm on stage or like when I'm emceeing or doing stand-up comedy or whatever, it's some of it's hypersexualized, mm-hmm. and um, that is a projection of a character. Because even um, outside of the outside of that character, I'm not hypersexualized like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I certainly have. I am certainly have, like, a strong ability to connect with my own sexuality. But as I've um, explored who I am becoming in sobriety specifically, I've started to to recognize that, for me, that idea of the the intersectionality between spirituality and sexuality becomes more intense. And what I mean by that specifically is that, um, first of all, like, I... When I, when I start to examine the things that, um, either turn me on sexually or that I want to participate in sexually, um, I had to, I learned to, to embrace some of those a lot more fully because I don't believe that, um, the universe gave me desires, even if they're fairly carnal, like, I don't believe that I was given, uh, desires to be, you know, shame, walk around being shameful, Right. And, um, and because of the fact that I've taken greater ownership of my wants sexually and the things that t- do or do not turn me on, that do or do not engage me, um, I've also started to recognize that for me, the, one of the biggest um, elements of sexuality for me um, it is the emotional connection that I can form with another person and the mental stimulation of interacting with that person. So what that means for me is that a lot of the more superficial, like anonymous type of sex that um, I may have engaged in, like when I was younger or um, whether it was anonymous or just very, very casual, like that, that thats dramatically, it's almost, it's almost non-existent. Certainly it is non-existent in the world of COVID, but um, like, but for me, um, I often, before I ever get to the point of having sex with somebody, I ask myself, do I want to, would I be interested in possibly dating this person? Would I want to be able to see them? Would I be able to, or at a minimum, would I be able to, if we decided to engage in sex that was casual, would I, would I be able to engage with that person on the street? Would I feel comfortable and confident being in the presence of that person um, in public and talking Uh, You know, and that's not to say that I was ever um, shameful of my sexual partners per se, but it was more about the fact that there was a time when everything in my life was very clandestine. The sexual encounters, the drugs, like everything, like my life was so illicit that the only way that it could be approached was like to try to keep it behind closed doors to some degree. Right. Right. And now I, I look at the ability to form intimate relationships that with with other men that could become sexual, to me that is an extension of spirituality because I would like to have that kind of um, presence of of a higher power in that interaction with somebody. I would like to have God consciousness be something, or even as basic as I would like to be comfortable enough with that person that we could talk about spirituality without it feeling, feeling taboo or weird.
0: Right, right. Taken away from the experience in some way. Yeah, yeah. It they, seems like it's very like
1: you seem like you're very
0: integrated in especially that aspect.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why, um, like, you know, it sometimes that leads to hurt on my part, really, because of the fact that, um, I haven't been able, or, or maybe I haven't allowed myself, or maybe I'm not there yet in my personal growth to return to engaging in super casual, um, hookups or things that, Like on, on some level I would probably really like, you know what I mean? Like who doesn't like meeting a hot guy and like all of that make out and whatever. And if it, if it's comfortable and it's, it's happening and I don't feel like um, I listen also to my internal instincts, you know, and if my instincts say that it's okay, I go with it. But there have been many times when like, I do have a, a desire and a drive for something that's a little bit more than the superficial element of sex. And I think that when you um, are really comfortable with that with yourself, I think that people pick up on it. And I think that it can drive people away, even, you know, just because they're picking up on it. Like, oh, this person's looking for a little bit more than just a, you know, little pokey pokey.
0: Yeah. So we're running, we're right at about the end of time. There were a couple of questions that we didn't get to, but I wanted to try to do like a quick fire. So like. I'll ask the questions. They're not really like quick answers, but try to just say what first comes to okay. mind in a couple of words, and then we'll ask the next one. Love it. Um, so what growth would you like to see in the drag community?
1: Um, I would, my, my quick answer on that is that I would like to see the growth in our community to be that we recognize that we are a sisterhood in some capacities, um, and that crosses so many different boundaries and, you know, genres of individual. And I I would like to see us tear each other down a little bit, a a lot less, actually.
0: Yeah. What is the most challenging thing for your spirituality, us, Ken Harper?
1: Oh, thank you, Ken. Um, The most challenging thing for my spirituality, I think, is, um, at the moment, um, feeling really isolated. You know, I'm a type of individual that, as I just said early in this conversation, like, for me, spirituality... um, the voice of God of a creator of nature of the universe comes through other human beings. You know, like I can talk to you, Bonnie, and I can um, hear nuggets that I think are, are God sent or sent from my creator. I can talk to Ken um, and get those same things. But right now, quite frankly, I'm trapped in my head a lot. And, um, and so it, I, unless I take special efforts, which I've been doing to like go out and be part of nature and, and be around other people on a limited basis, it's very easy to begin to lose that sense of connectedness that for me represents spirituality.
0: Right, um, and what are some of your spiritual practices today?
1: Oh gosh, um, my spiritual practices actually are more significant than I would have ever imagined them being. I, um, I pray and I meditate every day. Um, my prayers are not always long or complex. They can sometimes be very short and to the point like I need help or even just the word help, you know, that's a prayer um, to me because I'm asking for something outside myself to connect to me. Um, I meditate every day because as with, I think so many people, my anxiety right now is through the wor- roof with the, the troubles of the world. And sometimes I feel like um, my responsibility is to fix those in some capacity. And so I meditate every day to try to calm my mind. Um, I do breathing practices as part of those meditations. Um, I also, uh, try to do something creative every single day. And as I said, the reason for me that that is, uh, connected to spirituality is because I think that my creativity, and I think that it's given to me certainly by something beyond myself. It was there from literally the day I was born. And it's, that means that it was given to me by creator.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that we are about at We are out of time. Um, was there anything else you'd like to share before we go?
1: I just want to say that I think this is a lovely forum. I remember when you first asked me about it, I had to think for a moment. Like, what is the connection between spirituality and drag, and um, what is it? What is that for me? And you know, ultimately, I think that spirituality is a very individual practice. You know, it's something that we have to connect with on a daily basis for ourselves, just like our sobriety, or just like my sobriety. But at the same time, I also think that one of the things that spirituality represents to me is an interconnectedness. And um, there's been few things in my life, um, sobriety aside aside from sobriety, that has given me the sense of being interconnected like drag has. So with that parallel, I think that, you know, drag is an extension of my spirituality in so many ways and um, and it's certainly an extension of God-given gifts, so.
0: Fantastic, yeah, that's exactly partly why I wanted to do it, was to just give people an opportunity to exist in those things at the same time, and for other people to witness that as part of us mm-hmm. as well, because drag is getting consumed by so many people who are not us, um, and I think they're getting just not all the narratives and all of the the depth of who we are. And so that's partly why I wanted to do a little bit of this project was just to give a fuller expression of ourselves as well as hopefully allow us to be a little bit fuller within ourselves too, a little bit more connected, interconnected, both with ourselves, but also, you know, that, which is beyond us.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that like, I, I think about um, so many times over the years when um, because I'm in drag, and it seems so counterintuitive, but you'll I'll be in drag, and I'll be in like a nightclub environment or something, and somebody will come to me because this is the like you know the the flame that attracts the moth, right. and then there the the connection and the interaction is very spiritual. It's very human. It's like that. Sometimes they're much more able to be raw and real and, um, very authentic and genuine with this in a way that I don't think that they might be able to with a person who's not dressed like this, because there's something for them that like, it just, it dis- it's, there's a disconnect for them. And so we don't represent like, you know, well, I in think, some ways like, not something real. Like, right. But,
0: yeah. Well, I think, but I think we like, I think people see us and they think that we just like we don't like, we're just like no vulnerable. I don't know. Like there's no vulnerability, like, or that we're super vulnerable by putting ourselves out there. And I think it causes other people to, to meet us with vulnerability as well, because it is, we are yeah. putting ourselves out there in a way that is very vulnerable. We, who knows how the world's going to accept us or understand us. It's not like we're hiding our parts,
1: you know, it's like, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, I think that there's like such strength to that and that, you know, um there's there's strength like there's strength in if i look at my own journey as i talked about that internalized homophobia there's strength in like casting aside my own thoughts about what it would mean to be like emasculating myself to to do this and we are presented with such tremendous opportunities to to gather people together and to lead and um and i know for myself i have become like a mother like, God forbid, like I, you know, I worked in the Castro for seven years and I became like a mother to, it, it felt like an entire generation or maybe two of people. And, um, I think that that has allowed some people to honestly like begin to heal the wounds of like their own sense of being separate than and, or rejection and, or displaced by families of birth things like that. You know, like there's a, there is a tremendous power in drag. And I think that when we allow ourselves to connect with that, and we allow ourselves to connect with our own emotions that quite frankly can get literally and figuratively in the way of the drag sometimes, you know, like nobody wants a crying drag queen, but like when we allow ourselves to connect with those things, um, it's a very powerful experience. Very, very powerful. Makes it just all that more powerful. Absolutely.
0: Um, I I I could talk with you all night, um, but I think we do need to call call it a night. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Um, thank you for, for having the, me. For sure. And for the audience, thank you for being here and hanging out with us. Take care and have a good night. Bye bye.